From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny. It's just me and my colleague, Benta Berkman, today. Hi, Andy. Hello, hello. We're recording from separate rooms in our downtown studio. It is nice to get out of my house. And I'm taking a bit of a break from being at the state capitol, which we've only just returned to. This is the week that we really started to learn how the governor and the legislature are talking about the path out of the pandemic and how that might look in Colorado. It's been about a year now that we've been in this. If you remember last March, lawmakers temporarily paused the session and then they returned to pass critical bills and then had a brief special session on COVID relief. What struck me both at the state and the national level in the last week or couple weeks is that we're finally starting to hear elected leaders talk about the end of this thing as if it might really end someday. You know, President Joe Biden said that we would have enough doses manufactured at least to vaccinate everyone who wanted one by the end of July. And when Governor Jared Polis here in Colorado gave his state of the state speech, uh, this was one of his biggest applause lines. We have now vaccinated 60% of all Coloradans age 70 and up in Colorado. That was a moment where I think people were pretty unified and being happy with what they were hearing there. A rare thing. And later he said, We're determined to leave no one behind. And we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still some months away from reaching it. I think that will really be the focus of this session. How does Colorado get out of this tunnel? And as you can imagine, people have different ideas of what should be prioritized. Yeah, we're at a really delicate moment where the recovery is still kind of just formative. And, you know, the state legislature and Governor Jared Polis are figuring out what to do to continue that recovery. So let's focus in on Polis's speech. Benta, you were there. What was the scene like? It was more muted because far fewer people were watching in person, but there were still enough lawmakers there to get some sense of what ideas Democrats and Republicans were enthusiastic about. Oh, because Uh, they were doing the stand up, sit down, applaud routine. Right. And I was looking out over plexiglass, but you, you could still see things. And then you had some lawmakers in the gallery above. And this speech was really Polis's chance to reflect on the past year. And he said, he was mindful that people are still facing some of the toughest challenges they've ever faced in their lives. He had a new kind of needle to thread. I was watching online along with maybe 16,000 other people, according Mm. to Facebook. Oh, okay. And I dug back through to compare how his message compared to his earlier speeches in 2019, 2020. And, you know, each of these speeches has to have the line where he says the state of the state is... The state of our state is solid, it is strong, it is successful, successful, daring, and bold. Sounds like a consultant's presentation deck (laughs) in 2020. The state of our state is strong. It's forward-thinking, it's dynamic. Forward-thinking, dynamic, bold, and courageous. But what did you hear this year compared to those earlier really positive messages? What he said is his top goal is for Colorado to not only recover from this pandemic, but come out stronger. And he wants the state to be more equitable and inclusive. So the state of the state, this past year, we've been bruised, battered and shaken to our core. But nevertheless, the state of Colorado remains strong. He added that this terrible virus isn't done yet. And he wants the state to come out of this traumatic year poised for a bold transformational change. And, you know, the thing with these speeches is like 
they're kind of pro forma. He has to say things like this. He has to buck people up. But also, it is a good representation of where people's psyches are at and kind of what we're talking about, where we're at as a society. But let's dig into the specifics. What did he actually say he wanted to do, Benta? Well, he talked about some things lawmakers have been working on for years, like a transportation funding fix and more money for education, lowering health care costs. Didn't give a lot of specifics on those ideas. What stood out to you? It didn't seem like it was quite like previous years where he picked one and drove hard on it, right? Like 2019, Mm -hmm. didn't we hear a lot about universal kindergarten, for example? I think here that the top priority is certain. It's recovery from the pandemic, but that's hugely broad. And some of it's uncertain because we we're going to have to see what the federal stimulus money is that comes into the state. There's different budget priorities. So some of those details haven't been worked out yet. And there was plenty that he also didn't talk about so specifically. You know, he he mentioned health care, but unlike last year, he didn't go so hard against the hospitals and he wasn't in, in as much of a fighting spirit about it. Climate change he named as a top priority, but he didn't say we're going to take on all these new carbon initiatives. He just kind of touched on these big themes and didn't always get super specific about them. I guess maybe that wasn't the purpose of the speech this year. Right. It was a somber address. And when I talked to lawmakers after the speech, everyone felt that he set the right tone. And that tone being? There was a sense of optimism there, but he didn't sugarcoat the just incredibly tough year so many people are still living through. Well, so now from that that big general statement by Polis, we go right into the bulk of the legislative session. What's the status right now? What are they doing in the Capitol? Right. So this is really kind of the first week of the legislative session. So a lot of bills are being introduced, and I think it's going to ramp up pretty quickly to committee hearings. Mm. Um, a lot of that work will will start in the coming days. And there's a lot of pent-up energy, especially from the Democratic majority, to yeah. get things done since the last year has been interrupted. Yeah, there will be a lot of competing priorities. There's 100 people in that chamber. Uh, what are some of the early bills that jumped out to you? We have efforts to increase protections and services for undocumented immigrants, new gun control bills. Um, there's a measure that would increase protections for agriculture workers called the Farm Workers Bill of Rights. There's a measure coming that would aim to reduce the school-to-prison pipeline. Over the summer, during the height of the racial justice protests, the state worked on criminal justice reform and police accountability. So I think we can see those measures move forward again this session. I also found a few that I, I kind of zoomed in on. I noticed that there's one that would create a new electric infrastructure authority that could mm. raise money to to help upgrade kind of the grid and the power transmission, which suddenly seems really relevant, right? A lot more people may be paying attention to that this session. Just to give you an example of how wide reaching these are, there's a bill that would make it easier for people who were in prison, incarcerated, and who did a, a, a firefighter program while they were incarcerated. There's a bill that would make it easier for them to get firefighting jobs when they come out. And that's the kind of thing that like a state lawmaker can really take on is like those smaller fixes. There's tons of those. And still, this is just the very, very first wave of bills. We've got months to go, Andy. So who knows what we'll be talking about? Gosh, for another hundreds already. Um, (laughs) Did you see the one deregulate small operator meat sales, which is uh, a way to let people, I guess, sell like goose and game and Hmm cattle out of their their trunk without getting a license. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll see where that goes. 
What are you hearing um, in contrast on the Republican side? What are their priorities? Right. One big thing Republicans have talked about is this desire to set some controls around a governor's emergency powers. Polis, like governors across the country, has had extraordinary levels of power since the pandemic started. And Republicans especially want the legislature to have more of a say. So we're starting to see some movements like this in other Democratic states like New York state. But um, we'll have to see how that conversation plays out here. I think the overall message from many on the right is just let's fix what's broken before making these big changes. Here's mm. State Senator Don Corum. He's from Montrose. He's a Republican, but definitely one of the most moderate members of the legislature. I've spent my whole summer and fall and actually this morning working on people who are entitled to unemployment because of the glitches in the system that we have, they're not getting it. I talked to a lady today. She hasn't got her checks. She's due because there's a glitch. She's worried that her car is going to be repossessed. She can't pay the rent and she doesn't have groceries. So let's fix those problems first. I think it's a definitely a philosophical difference from what we're hearing from the left, which is this bold transformational change. This is our chance to build things back the way we want them to be versus, well, let's let's not move too quickly here. The way that discussion is playing out to me says something about the approach that Republicans are taking in the legislature because it's not like a scorched earth argument, right? They're not saying rebel against polis. Mm -hmm. um, Senator Chris Holbert was on Colorado Matters recently and he just said, we would not be looking to interfere with the governor in this current pandemic this current disaster emergency. Right now, under our current statute and constitution, the governor can continue this statewide disaster emergency 30 days at a time indefinitely. So is that the right scenario for the next time this happens? Because again, people across the political spectrum have asked, where's the legislature? And I, I think that moving from part-time to a full-time year-round legislature, I don't think the citizens are prepared for that. But given a, a prolonged time period, 90 days, six months, a year or something, should there be some constitutional trigger to say, let's have both branches of government involved in making these decisions for our state? I'd be surprised if Democrats weren't bringing up those ideas if we had a Republican governor right now. But bigger yeah. than bigger than party politics, I think it's uh, about maintaining the authority of the legislative branch and not giving up too much of their power to the executive branch. Well, that covers what we've seen as the gears of government get back into motion. But before we go, um, I wanted to highlight something from Polis's speech that kind of made me stop and say, wait, 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 wait. What? what? Because he has made this thing of quoting one piece of geek wisdom each year. <laughs> it is part of the Polis shtick is just being a huge nerd. No offense. He, I, mean, he said I don't it think himself. he'd probably take offense by that. I, I think he'd probably <laughs> wear that with. That, that where that is a badge of honor. So the first time, 2019, was from Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility, I think is what he said. The next one, uh, last year, was from Lord of the Rings. Uh, in the first part of the trilogy, uh, Frodo, the protagonist, laments that he needs to carry this awesome burden of saving the world from a growing darkness. Gandalf, uh, his guide, responds with a charge that I think really applies to all of us here in this chamber. Gandalf said, quote, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us, end quote. 
But this time he went with Star Trek. He went for the inspirational note. He said it was from his favorite Star Trek captain, Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> Quote, things are only impossible until they are not. This was less so about phasers and shields and all that. He was talking about a rebirth, he said, for the state. Um, and clearly, though, he was pretty inspired by Star Trek and all its... Star Trek's got interesting politics, but we won't get into that. Well, for some expert analysis here, um, I think we should bring in our show's resident, Trekkie, also known as our editor, Megan Verlee. It's true. I can prove my bona fides by revealing that I was, in fact, the president of my high school Star Trek fan club. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm not even ashamed to say that into a microphone. That's how bad it is. I don't even know if my high school had a Star Trek fan club. Your high school needed me. <laughs> Did you have to win an me. election or... Or were you just the only one? I, I was the one who had it together to, like, drop off the weekly meeting announcement at the, the principal's <laughs> office. That was that was my role. Uh, so I have to say I was super excited to hear Captain Picard uh, quoted, even if he's not my favorite Star Trek captain. Uh, captain Sisko, woo! Uh, but I that means nothing to me right now. Sorry. You are you have lived a better life than me. Uh, uh, but I did actually think of a different Star Trek quote that I think uh, is also appropriate for this moment. Uh, it's in an episode where a, a character ends up in an alternate reality. And, and as she's figuring it out, she says, There's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with the universe. Which is sort of a ridiculous thing to say until the year that we have now all lived through, when I feel like it is very fair to say there is nothing wrong with us, but there is a lot wrong with the universe right now. And that makes me feel uh, both better and worse. I don't know. Well, I have a cultural reference that it, it, it is a bit dark. Um, and it's from a show that was a, it's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi dystopian <laughs> show. Um the 100 and it's wrapped up. The 100? Yes. And I think this sums up, it, it just kind of sums up a lot of things, but it's it's a little bit dark. You still have hope? We're still breathing. Do you still have hope? Are we still breathing? Well, we are all still breathing, even if that might actually be a health risk these days. Uh, Andy, do you have a, a pop culture moment to, to sum up our political space? I do. I didn't, I didn't stay in sci-fi, but I did go straight to the 90s. My, my quote... Now, I want you to to take this in the context that Jared Polis wants to cut certain taxes, but he also wants to see a stimulus package. There's a lot of competing spending priorities. Hmm. And this quote, I believe, sums up what a lot of the conversation is going to look like. I need to feel you, Jared! Show me the money! Jared, you better yell! Show me the money! We are going to be having a lot of conversations about where the money is. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. I want I want you to use that clip in a future radio story at some point, maybe during the budget negotiations. That is it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Benta Berkland, and joining us today, our editor, Megan Verlee. You can keep up with everything we've talked about here and more on Twitter. Find us at Andy KNNY. I'm at Benta Berkland, and we'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. Y'all ready for this? Yep. Okay.